If you have your Bible, and I hope you do this morning, turn to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're continuing our study through the book of 1 Timothy. And for two of our three adult small groups this morning, you get to hear a repeat of what Sunday school was. Uh, So for for two of our classes, you all were in 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, uh, verses 1 through 8. That's where we're going to be as we continue through our study. I promise it won't be exactly the same. And for the third small group that met this morning that wasn't in 1 Timothy chapter 2, you're required to stay for the whole sermon, okay? Everybody else, you're more than welcome to, no, stay put where you're at. Uh, We're continuing through 1 Timothy chapter 2. Two this morning. And just as a recap of where we're at in chapter one, Paul introduces himself to Timothy uh, in the letter to Timothy by telling him of the hope that we have in God our Savior. And we're reminded that a common theme in the book of First Timothy is there is hope. We ought to live a certain way because of our future expectation and the hope we have in the salvation of Jesus Christ. There were all sorts of issues and problems that were introduced. We don't know exactly what the problem was, but what we do know is it had a lot of these ties of false teaching, especially tied to to arrogance and boastful teaching, people saying things that they knew nothing about and causing divisiveness. And the rest of the letter of 1 Timothy really gets to some practical application on how to deal with some of this false teaching. How then are we supposed to live so that we make sure we get the teaching right? And he begins chapter 2 by introducing the rest of the letter as a life of prayer. This morning we're going to be looking at what it means to have a life of prayer in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 8. The verses are going to be up on the screen behind me. I hope you can follow along or maybe in a copy of God's Word that you brought with you. You you can follow along as well. We're going to take these just a couple verses at a time and look at what Paul is begging Timothy to model his life around. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. As Paul begins this next part of the letter, he says, first of all, if you read the rest of 1 Timothy, by the way, I would encourage you to read the entire book uh, as much as you want through this series. Refresh yourself. You may start to look for a second of all or next or last or something that would come after a first of all. But there is none. There's a first of all, but there is no second of all. And that's because Paul is not making a list of things to do here. What he's saying is, first of all, the most important thing we're going to start off with. And so this idea of prayer is not the first thing you do, but it saturates everything you do. First, above all else, be someone who models your life in prayer. The most important thing you can do to correct false teaching at a church or division in a church or hurt in a church is pray first of all before anything else paul goes on to list several synonyms for prayer he says i urge that supplications or prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people we can probably try to make a whole sermon out of these four types of prayers listed but i think it'll be futile 
Because this is not what Paul's intention is to do. Not to give us different ways to pray, but instead to remind us that prayer is important in every way. So it says supplications. That's a fancy word for praying for what we need. Lord, I need this from you. He talks about the word prayer. It's just a generic word, prayer, that we would use for prayer. He says, for intercessions, that's not just what I need, but prayers for others. Thanksgiving, this is what God has done for me and, and how thankful I am that God has worked. I don't think that he's trying to differentiate between types of prayers. I think he's saying, in the myriad of ways to pray, I urge you to pray. But whether it is heavy on one type or heavy on another type, I urge you to pray in a variety of ways to God. First of all, I urge you to pray, and then he says, who to pray for? To pray for all people. That's kind of overwhelming. There's like 8 billion people on this earth, and I promise you, none of us will ever pray for all 8 billion of them by name. Right, go ahead and try it. Just start with the people you know, and when you run out of names, get out the phone book, and when you run out of names there, go ahead and do a Google search for maybe some sort of directory, and you're never going to be able to pray for all people in a detailed way. I don't think all people means all individuals by name. I think it means all types of people, all races, all genders, all nations. I believe what he's saying is, don't be discriminatory in your prayer. I think we're really good at praying for the people we care about the most. I hope you do pray for your family. If you don't pray for your family, I would encourage you, start somewhere. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your children, your grandchildren. Pray for your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your mama, your daddy. Pray for your family, okay? Pray for all those who are in your close circle. I hope you pray for your friends. Hope you pray for those that, that you talk to on a regular basis. Maybe they're co-workers. We'll get into praying with enemies here in a little bit. But maybe they're, they're people that you talk to regularly, people you care deeply about. I hope you are praying for them. You know their needs. I hope you're praying for, for those who are in your church. I hope you're praying for your, your pastor. I hope you're praying for your pastor's family. I hope you're praying for your Sunday school teacher. I hope you're praying for our deacons. I hope you're praying for, for our boards. I hope, hope you're praying for the people you know. But it's really easy to pray for the people that we're close to. But our prayers should not be discriminatory. It says pray for all people. Hope you pray for your enemies. Those who don't have anything nice to say about you, and if you're honest, you catch yourself because you don't say very nice things about them. Pray for them. Your, your words will change. Pray for those who hurt you and persecute you. Pray for all people. And then Paul elaborates because he knows in 2021 we're going to read pray for all people. And we're going to expand it, but then we're going to stop it. God knew in his sovereignty that we needed to hear the next verse. Pray for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Pray for your government. I know some of you right now, I just lost you. Track back with me, okay? Let's stick with what God's word is telling us. Pray for all people, for all kings and all who are in high positions. I know some of you have prayed for our president, current and former, in, in ways that were more derogatory than they were thankful. I don't care who you are in here right now. We're polarized enough that in the last two years, at some point, actually in the last 12 months, at some point you've had a president that you have not liked. And I understand many of you are very passionate about that. Whether it's now or a year ago, whether it's a year ago or now, all of us have 
politicians that we don't care much about. So a lot of times our prayer go this way. Father, I pray you would smite him like David prayed against his enemies. Lord, I pray that you would remove him from office, and I pray that you would put in someone that I would want to be in there. Father, we pray for wisdom of the people around him so that they can get rid of him, right? This is our praying for our kings and all those who are in authority. It's, It's one thing to be critical of a king. As a matter of fact, Paul was often critical of Roman and the Roman government. He often had to fight and argue with them because he was a Roman citizen and didn't deserve the punishment he had. He often had to stand up for truth and was arrested because of his opposition of Roman government. But that didn't keep him from a genuine, heartfelt prayer for them. I want to point something out to you. Do you remember where Paul is writing this from, most likely? A prison cell. Most likely not the first time he was arrested. We read about that in Acts when he was in Rome and in prison. Most likely he was released after the book of Acts ended. He went on another missionary journey and was arrested again. And if that's the case, and I believe it was, he was arrested under an emperor named Nero. Now many of you have heard this name Nero before. One of the most wicked and evil emperors that the Roman Empire ever had. Nero had a a tendency not just to execute people that he didn't agree with, but to do it in a flamboyant way. So he would throw lavish parties at night. And of course, not having electricity in the first century, he had to light his party somehow. So he would use execution as a way to light his parties. He would literally put people on stakes and set them on fire to light his lavish parties. This was an evil and wicked man who wanted nothing more than to eradicate those who taught that there was another king, King Jesus. And he killed more Christians than any of of the emperors before him. Of course, it was short-lived at that time. He, He was notorious for being wicked and evil and cruel, and he was probably the reason why Paul was in prison a second time. And if tradition is right, he was the emperor under whose watch Paul was executed. I can guarantee you this. Whichever president you want to dislike, now or former, he was not as bad as Nero. I promise you. And Paul writes to us to pray for all people, for all kings, including Nero, the one who's put Paul in prison, and all who are in high position. In case you think a sarcastic prayer is going to be okay in this scenario, Paul makes sure we know. Pray, that you, uh, pray for our leaders so that we can lead a peaceful and quiet life that is godly and dignified in every way. In other words, if God is blessing the king, Christians are able to share the gospel. Pray that God would bless the king in such a way that the gospel could be spread. And so sometimes that's praying, Lord, help policies to change so that your gospel can be shared. God, give them wisdom so that the gospel can be shared. God, we pray for our leaders and all who are in high positions so that your gospel can go out. We want to lead peaceful and quiet lives. He's going to actually tell the church in Rome, in the book of Romans, that we are to to respect our authority and our leaders because God has put them in place and they are for our benefits whether you agree with them or not. One of the commentaries I read pointed this out. A bad king is better than anarchy. You think about that for a minute, you think, well, that wouldn't necessarily be true. No rules would be great if if they're better than bad rules. 
But no rules means you have not just one king enforcing his will, but thousands or millions of kings enforcing their will. Even in the difficulty of disagreement of a political nature, God is in control. We should pray for all people without discrimination. I would beg you and encourage you to pray for your government leaders, those you like and support, and those you don't like and don't support. The ones you voted for and the ones you didn't vote for. Lord, we pray that you would use those governing authorities, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. The subject of our prayer is everyone. We must pray for everyone. Paul had in mind our our government officials, but I think he also had in mind the two men who he had said in chapter 1 he handed off to Satan. I think he also had in mind the false teachers within his church. I think he also had in mind those who had persecuted him when he was in Ephesus and had run him out of town. I think he also had in mind those idol makers who, who created images that hated Paul for preaching the gospel and had him arrested. I think he had in mind not just those in the church, but especially those outside the church. Our prayers are not limited to the people we agree with or are comfortable with. Paul says, first of all, of most importance, pray prayers of supplication and petition and thanksgiving for all people, for every person without discrimination. He delves a little deeper because sometimes we we start praying for people that we, we don't necessarily agree with and we're struggling. What do we pray for, God? I don't even know how to pray for people who I disagree with. And so he gives us kind of an insight of a great place to start, an amazing place to start, maybe the most important place to start. And I think Paul is keeping this under this first of all heading of most importance. He tells us about God's desire when we pray in verses 3 and 4. This is good, praying for kings. This is good, praying for those in high positions. This is good, praying for everyone. And it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul says your prayers are good prayers when you pray in a pleasing way. Notice this phrase again in in this verse, in the sight of God our Savior. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, our first sermon in 1 Timothy introduced this phrase, God our Savior. It's kind of unique. Normally we talk about Jesus our Savior. This is talking about God the Father as our Savior. It's a reminder that God the Father and Jesus the Son are one. That it is God who begins salvation and calls us to Him. And it is good and pleasing to pray for people in their salvation. It says it is God's desire that all people be saved. Just stop and think about this for just a moment. Coming off of chapter 1, Paul has given his testimony of his wicked background, how he persecuted Christians, how he, he hated God and was a blasphemer, it said, against him. And it blows Paul away that God's desire was to save Paul. We can look at our own testimony in our own lives, where we were before Christ, and it should blow you away that God had a desire to save you, to save me. This is God's heart. This is his desire. 
And when we pray, we pray, God, we want your will to be done. And your desire and your heart is for the salvation of all people. One of the most heartbreaking things I, I hear on Facebook and social media is when, when someone exceedingly wicked passes away. Several years ago, it was Osama bin Laden, and, and there were some others in Al-Qaeda that were, were killed in some air raids, and we can be thankful for God's justice, and that's a whole other message and a whole other time, but what we can't be celebrating, it broke my heart to see Christians celebrate, is that those people apart from Christ have gotten what they deserved in hell. That may be true, but it's not a celebration. God is not rejoicing in that. God's desire is the salvation of all people. The sad reality is that, that not all people embrace that salvation. And there's other places, and particularly chapter 1 we could go back to, that Paul makes it abundantly clear, not all people will be saved. Some people live their lives for themselves or this world or the devil himself. But God's heart and his desire is that all people would know him and be saved. Can I tell you how you can pray for a president or governor or an elected official that you don't know how to pray for? Pray for their salvation. Beg and plead that they would know Christ. Can you imagine, can you imagine whatever politician you disagree with, how their policies would change if they were molded after the truth of God's word? Imagine if they genuinely submitted themselves to Christ, how their policies would change. They'd probably be run out of office, every single politician I know. doesn't matter if they're blue or red. If they genuinely submitted to Christ, most of them would be run out of office. But can you imagine the powerful impact it would be? I find myself doubting whether God can actually save them or not. Lord, I pray for their salvation, but I just can't see them ever changing. Shame on me for forgetting 1 Timothy chapter 1. When God took a blasphemer, a persecutor of Christians, and changed his heart. Shame on me for forgetting my own testimony, my stubborn personality, where God changed my heart and saved me. Shame on me for forgetting the testimonies of other believers I've heard that, that were lost causes. And God changes their heart. If God desires all people to be saved, there that means there is no individual on the face of the earth that God cannot save. We ought to be praying for the salvation of others. We must pray for salvation for everyone. There's not a single person on this planet that we should not desire to come to know Christ. Maybe one of the hardest interviews I watched with James Dobson the night before the execution of a, a serial killer, mass murderer, he had a, a conversation with him that, that they recorded. And in doing so, it came to light that James Dobson had led this convicted serial killer to Christ. And he was a believer. It was hard to watch because we knew the details of the, the history of this man's crimes. We know the, the wickedness, and he certainly was deserving of the punishment he was getting. In the middle of the interview... The lights dim, and they come back on and kind of look around, and the convicted man says that they're testing the chair, and it always flickers the light when they test the chair for tomorrow. This man, who was widely hated by our country and the world, had given his life to Christ, 
And it was a strange feeling to watch an interview of a man that everyone hated that I'll share a mansion next to one day in heaven. And at that point is when we say, God, you can save anybody. There is no person on this planet that God does not desire to save. And so Paul continues. He writes about God's desire, and then he reminds us that there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message. There is the ability for you and I to be saved through this one man. And in verse 6, he says, He gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus Christ is the ransom for us. This word ransom in the original Greek language isn't really ransom. It's more of, it's the root word of someone purchasing or buying the freedom for a slave. So it's used several times, this root word is used several times in Scripture where where someone would go and pay the price for a slave to be freed. But this time, this word ransom is used uniquely because Paul adds a prefix to it. It's a prefix anti. It doesn't mean against in Greek always. Sometimes it means in place of. So Jesus Christ is the payment in place of our slavery and our sin. Jesus Christ is the only one the one God, the one mediator between God and men who has the ability to save. And so you and I are called to pray that people would not just know God, but they would know saving power through Jesus Christ, the one who is the ransom for us. It's for us to read 1 Timothy chapter 2 and say, I deserved death on a cross, but Jesus Christ died in my place. My sins are worthy of condemnation. But Jesus Christ took that condemnation for me. So this is the testimony given at the proper time. Elsewhere, Paul describes it, and he says, at just the right time, Jesus Christ was born. God's timing is perfect. Not only when Christ came, but God's timing is perfect in our reception of salvation. This morning, some of you are sitting here wondering and asking, do I know Christ? I'm telling you, in the proper time, right here and right now, God is speaking and saying, I love you and I died for you. There are people in this room who have been praying and will continue to be praying for your salvation. And in the proper time, could be right now, God is saying, I died for you. Paul talks about his proclamation of this in verse 7. He says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul says, we're praying for lost people, and God made me the preacher to take the gospel to them. And when he says, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, he's not saying that for Timothy's sake. Timothy knows he's not lying. He's saying that for everyone else who will read this letter, that they can have assurance that God called Paul to preach that message of salvation. And I think the reason why we have confidence in that is because if Paul can take a blasphemer, or God can take a blasphemer and a God-hater, and make him a proclaimer of the gospel. The same is true for you and I. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. God called you to take this message. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. God desires that all people be saved, and you're the instrument which is going to tell them that. You are the 2021 version of Paul. I know you don't feel adequate or good enough, but it doesn't matter because God is adequate and good enough. 
For this purpose, the salvation of Jesus Christ, you were appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher to the Gentiles, that is, all people, in faith and truth. Our prayer lives need not only ask for the salvation of others, our prayer lives need to ask for us to be bold in our evangelism. We must pray for evangelism. God, make me a proclaimer of your truth. Make me the one who is bold enough to share the gospel with others. Help me to see lost people and love them enough to tell them about faith in Christ. Paul gets ready to transition into a a further part of instruction to men and women, but he bookends verses 1 through 7 with verse 8. I desire then, in light of this proclamation of salvation, that in every place the men should pray, should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. This lifting of holy hands is, is not meaning you have to raise your hands, although physically you can. This lifting holy hands means the hands you have are doing God's work. They're holy hands. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling is a reminder that often we put our own needs ahead of the needs of the gospel. There's arguing, there's infighting, and we walk away and we go, that wasn't even worth it. This morning, our lives should be a life of prayer. Praying for every single person, regardless of our agreeing with them or our disagreeing with them. Our prayer for their spiritual health and specifically their salvation, that they would know Christ. And a prayer, God, use me as your preacher and apostle to proclaim truth to them. This morning's message really is about prayer, but I think it's just as much, even more importantly, about the people you know who need to know Christ. So this morning, I'm going to close this message in prayer, but I think it's important that your application need not be, I'm going to pray with the pastor, but I'm going to pray on my own. This morning, there's somebody that you know who needs the gospel. There's somebody you know by name I don't know their name, you do, that needs to know Christ. This morning, your application is to pray, one, for their salvation, and if you're bold enough and obedient enough, your prayer needs to be, God, show me how I can be your apostle and your preacher to that person. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you and we are humbled to know you desire to use us when we don't deserve to be used. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel message, the salvation we have through Jesus Christ. And Lord, in the proper time, you saved me. Lord, this morning there may be someone who feels convicted, even here and even now, of their need for salvation through Jesus Christ. God, we pray to you, our Savior, that you would right now convict hearts. Lord, others in here are thankful and praising you for the salvation they already possess, but they know friends and family, co-workers or classmates, or they need to know you. Lord, let us not pray a generic prayer. Let us pray for all people this morning. Let's pray for specific people this morning. Lord, there are names on our hearts that we we lift up to you for salvation. Lord, as we pray for that, we pray that you would make us bold to tell them ourselves about our own faith.
and about how they can have that same faith in you. Father, we love you and we thank you for your salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.